Hello, hello. I'm Dr. Felicia Mebbin, and this is Health, Healing, and Hampton Roads. And today we are going to focus on one of the premier programs here at the Norfolk State University, which is our nursing program. And I am so excited to have with me today Dr. Jamela did I say that right? Jamila. 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 That's why you have to ask, folks. That's right. Dr. Jamila Martin, who is the chair of the Department for Nursing and Allied Health at Norfolk State. Hi, Dr. Martin. Hi, Dr. Mevin. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So before we go much further around the topic of sort of nursing and public health and community health, tell us, what is this chair? What does that mean? What do you do? So (laughs) I am the chair of nursing and allied health at Norfolk State University, and I've been the chair since uh, right in January 2023. And what I do is I help to administer the programs that we have here for nursing students, for allied health students, um, and, you know, work with the folks, the faculty, help to uh, create course schedules and all of those sorts of administrative and human resources aspects of running a uh, department or an academic unit. Right. So I think perhaps students and other folks who are not in academia, sort of like a business, even though we're talking about academic programs, you have to have a leader or someone who sort of keeps the trains rolling on time and keeps the operations going. And so that's one of the functions of a chair, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a lot of paperwork as well, making sure that everyone (laughs) at the university is apprised of what's going on in our department and uh, any needs we might have and successes we have as well. Nice. So how long have you been in Hampton Roads and what's your connection? Well, I've been in Hampton Roads since two... Okay, hold on. You don't have to say the year, perhaps. Okay. I mean, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. I've been in Hampton Roads for about 10 years. And uh, originally, I lived up in Charlottesville, where I was in school. And when I finished nursing school, my doctoral program, I moved to Hampton Roads. And uh, though I hadn't previously lived in Hampton Roads prior to that... I have family that has uh, lived in Hampton Roads prior to that. So I, my mother was an alumni or is an alumni of ODU. And my father attended EVMS as one of the first African-American physicians to attend EVMS in the area. Wow. And so they both lived in this area prior to me being born and then moved around a bit. So I do have some connections and have other family members who have gone to Hampton University and ODU. So um, and I just I love the area. I am a beach person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am a summer flip flops, uh, you know, and bathing suit kind of person. And I can not think of a better place to live than somewhere near the coast and in this area where we have uh, such a variety of people with military um, individuals and it's just a great place to live. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is so nice. It's interesting because I think a lot of one thing that I've noted about faculty and staff at Norfolk State is a lot of them have direct ties to Norfolk State. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, she's going to say, but no, I forget there are other universities in yes, the area. Yes. So that's okay, too. You know, <laughs> I don't have direct ties to Norfolk State or I didn't previously, but now I do. Exactly. And I, that was one of the draws for me because I didn't have any connection previously with Norfolk State. And I'm so glad that I do now. I'm so glad that I do. So what is your training? Like, How does one become the chair of a department or, you know, how do you identify in terms of your field? Like, what's your area of expertise? So I am a nursing educator primarily uh, and and healthcare educator. My 
trajectory started actually in healthcare administration. So my first degree was a bachelor's of science in healthcare administration in um, from North Carolina State University, and then at some point in that training and in my work trajectory, I realized that I really wanted to work more, work with people in addition to with the the paperwork aspect. So I went back to nursing school. I earned a second degree, a bachelor's degree in nursing and worked for a while uh, as a neonatal intensive care unit nurse. While there, uh, I really fell in love with training and mentorship. I had the opportunity to mentor quite a few of our newly onboarded nurses, and I, I just fell in love with that aspect. So I went back to school again and earned my master's degree and my Ph.D., both in nursing uh, with a pediatric nurse practitioner certificate. So that combination of education allowed me to do research if I want to conduct health research, if I want to teach, uh, if I want to work within the community. It provided me the broadest array of opportunities to Mm -hmm. use my skills. And um, that's what I've always just kind of been searching for is is no limitations to what I can do or what um, I am, what arenas I'm allowed to Mm -hmm. involve myself in. Mm -hmm. Like some, I've thought about that too, because when I pursued my PhD, PhDs, ladies and gentlemen, are for people who want to do research. But I thought of it more as I don't want any glass ceiling because of lack of a credential. Exactly. So I wanted to get the PhD that had the highest level credential in public health and health policy. So then, as you were saying, you could take whatever opportunity came about. Right. So when you have your passions, you're not limited because of a lack of education or of a lack of credential. You can follow those passions wherever they lead you. And so that's that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I really I, I. Early on, really loved research. I still absolutely love research, but completely fell in love with uh, teaching and working with students and working in and around the community as well. Nice. And for folks who are listening, it doesn't mean you have to have a PhD to follow your passions at all. Um, I just thought I was going to be the Secretary of Health and Human Services. So I need a a credential. That's all. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes uh, if you want to work in this particular setting in academics, as you mentioned, at a university and you want to embark upon uh, a chair opportunity, you want to work as the leader of a department, then you will have to have a doctoral degree for that. Right. Because to lead a faculty, you have to have that the highest level degree. Right. Um, And that's for whether any sort of academic leadership position, a dean, associate dean, a provost, a president, typically have a, a doctorate of some sort. Right. Absolutely. Nice. And of course, the healthcare administration doesn't hurt in terms of understanding how to be a leader, how to manage, right? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And so uh, I did. I, I had a lot of that content in my first bachelor's degree with the administration, leadership, economics. Right. Uh, yeah. Management. Nice. So what brought you to Nor- why Norfolk State? Why Norfolk State? So I've been in and around the area and... I have always had an interest and a passion for health equity and community health, starting from my master's and doctoral studies, really. And when I was working previously, teaching, working in the community, teaching community health, one of the issues that really uh, pulled at me is the lack of health equity that can 
be found in some of our, you know, in some of our areas or in our neighborhoods. And one of the ways that I realized that that could be addressed is by developing more patient provider concordance. And what I mean by that is that sometimes people will feel that they have a better connection with a provider that looks or sounds like them or has similar experiences that they have had. Mm-hmm. In order for persons of color to be able to experience that concordance, we have to have more persons of color in the communities providing care and in the hospitals providing care uh, or in any care setting providing care. And so as I was elsewhere working, I realized that with my education and background, one of the ways that I really could address health inequity or inequality is by helping to train and um and put more nurses and allied health folks into the community that look like me or that look like other people in the community. So that is one of the draws for me for Norfolk State University is that we really do focus on our community and we focus on training our our folks or training folks to go out and address health inequities. And so um, that's what initially drew me to Norfolk State. Nice. Me, yeah. me too, I think, yeah. in, a, in a broader way. So a couple of things there. First of all, tell us what you mean by health equity. Okay. So health equity uh, means that, well, let me start with health uh, disparities. Okay. So a lot of times people will start with the idea of health disparities in order to better understand what health inequities, inequalities, and health equity means. But health disparities are the differences in outcomes, in health outcomes for different groups of people. And that's the simplest way to describe it. Um, Now, the reasons for those differences are vast, and we're learning more about that now. But we do know that there are some health inequities or health inequalities, which means that the opportunity to be healthy isn't equal across groups. What we are trying to do is achieve health equity, which means that the opportunity and the outcomes for different groups are equal. We, e- we have equal health opportunity, equal opportunity to become healthy. We have equal access to care. Um, we have equal access to not only care, but good care, quality care. And um, we can then begin to decrease some of those differences or disparities in outcomes and improve the health for all people. Okay, yeah. nice. So as a more specific example, we know that outcomes for black women when they have babies can be different from white women when they have babies. And we're saying that that difference is inequitable. That difference is inequitable. And there's a disparity there because it shouldn't if everything was equal, if the stress levels of black women was equal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if racism didn't exist, if they had the same access to resources, then the positive outcomes would be the same. Should be the same, absolutely, right. And then that's how you achieve health equity. Well, we don't know exactly for all issues and all conditions is how do we specifically achieve equity in, you know, with specific disparities, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that there are a lot of approaches that have to be taken. It's not a one-stop um, shop to fixing that. Right. But what we do know, particularly for that issue with African-American women and, um, you know, birth outcomes is 
We used to believe that health education really was the end-all be-all mm-hmm. to whether mm-hmm. or not people were able to achieve health equity. Right. And now we've learned that no matter what kind of education a black woman has, whether she has a PhD or she has, you know, uh, just finished high school or maybe not even finished high school, that does not have any impact on the birth outcomes and now we have to understand why so for an educated white woman her chances of having a healthy delivery and pregnancy are much better for an educated black woman that chance of a healthy pregnancy and a healthy delivery doesn't change much right right i i remember reading about that as well oh oh wait a minute so again Having a high level of education is not a protective factor in that case. In so that then case. you have to look at other what we call social determinants of health Absolutely. or factors that are affecting the health of the pregnant black woman that aren't affecting the health in a negative way of right. other groups of people. Absolutely. And you mentioned stress right. is a big one. Right. Right. And so and again, one of the ways that we can begin to address that is to have healthcare providers who believe me when I tell them my pain level who believe me when I say this might be a problem, which Absolutely. in other words, they're connecting to me in a way that relates to who I am as a person in my culture, rather than what we know are some negative ways, experiences that black women can have in healthcare settings. Absolutely, exactly right. And so also wanna make a note that, again, Norfolk State is wonderful because we have wonderful, you know, diverse populations of students. It's also about training people who are not African-American as well, right? Absolutely. Cultural competence can come on a lot of different levels. I know you have a diverse mix of students who mm-hmm. come from a variety of backgrounds, We absolutely right? do, and so we love that. Exactly. So you're training people to who look like the patients, but also everyone can benefit from coming to Norfolk State's nursing program because they will learn a culturally sensitive approach to providing care. Absolutely, absolutely. And we we love to have a variety of folks in our department, in our faculty, in our uh, student body, because the more experiences that people bring to the table, the more we can learn from each other. So we're not looking for one one type of person to fill our, you know, to, to, to fill our department. We really value the, the varied experiences of students um, in creating that environment for patients that can really be comfortable for them to express, you know, their needs. Nice. So you had talked, you mentioned very briefly, okay, we have to think of some other approaches and you mentioned community health. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons I'm excited to have you as a guest is because you and I have been partnering, partnering, I think that's Mm -hmm. the right word if Mm -hmm. I've said that correctly, um, on providing an experience for the nursing students. So let's start with what is community health specifically and how does that fit into the training for our nursing students? Okay. So community health is exactly what it sounds like. It is it is focusing on the health of the members of our community, whether that's individual or whether that is an organization. And it is an approach to connecting folks to uh, preventative care, to primary care, and ensuring that uh, some of these conditions, some of the things that we face in our lives, um, whether it be lack of resources or illness or any of those types of things are addressed at the community level or at home or at an organization or at the church or at school <clears throat> prior to, hopefully, it having to be addressed in the hospital setting. 
Community health for nursing um, is extremely important. In fact, that's the foundation of nursing. The first, um, you know, some of the first training for nurses was in the community, starting with the Henry Street Settlement. And uh, we know that nurses were out in the communities collecting data and, and, and really working with people on the individual level, but also looking at sanitation and cleanliness and those types of uh, factors that all go into to public health and in community health. So community health is an area where nurses can be very, very effective along with their partners in community health as well. So it's a partnership model. You know, everybody has their role in the community, but we all uh, have to work together in order to make things work. So it's uh, extremely important that we train all of our nurses in uh, the ways of community health and how they can get out there and and also recognizing that that there are opportunities for them out there to work because a lot of new graduate nurses only envision themselves in the hospital setting Mm -hmm. they don't realize that there are so many other opportunities to uh, impact people and their lives and impact the health of our of our nation our communities yeah very exciting so, and I love that you mentioned public health too, because one of the things people in public health say is that you're looking at the health of someone where they, let me see, live, work, play, worship, age, you know, variety. Mm-hmm. In other words, health is happening everywhere people are. Right. And so we want to have people who are trained as nurses to go out to all of those locations and be able to contribute to um, the quality of life or the quality mm-hmm. of work or the mm-hmm. quality of, you know, all their, the, how people are living exactly to live their best best life to right. live their best lives <laughs> absolutely absolutely and that that model looks a little bit different you know so one of the things that I've recognized in my years of teaching nursing and in teaching community health nursing specifically is that sometimes the nursing students have a little bit of difficulty transitioning their mind from that hospital acute care setting to uh, a community care setting where the care looks or the the tasks look different, Mm -hmm. but they're um, highly impactful. But that impact sometimes takes a little longer to realize. Right. And so it's encouraging for me because they have this aha moment after they've done something that they didn't think was impactful, that they realize the effects of that and the long-term effects that will continue rolling on years on down the line from, say, the project that they're working on with you. Mm-hmm. Right? And Great so that's segue. exciting. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the project. Okay. I will do that. <laughs> well, actually, before we do that, one more thing. So nurses and folks who go out into the community, and again, you said you're partnering with people who are already in the community. Right. Right. How do they know what to do? How do the nurses know what to do? Yes. Like, how do they know what each community needs? Well, we tend to do community health assessments, windshield surveys. We talk to people. It's all about talking to people. So uh, one of the projects that the nursing students do is a windshield survey. And that is simply, you and it really provides you a lot of information, but you ride through a particular area and see what you see. What resources are there? Oh, I'm sorry. You mean literally windshield. Literally windshield. <laughs> okay, You're okay. literally <laughs> looking out your windshield. Okay. okay. I was this say, is just, what does that stand for? <laughs> right. And this is just the start of the data collection, but you can collect so much information from looking through your windshield and driving the streets of whatever neighborhood 
um, or neighborhoods you're focused on to see who who is out there what are they doing what uh, resources do they have? Do they have grocery stores? Are there sidewalks? Um, are there street signs? Are there crosswalks for the children? Is there a school, a playground, green space? Those kinds of things. Um, are there churches? Are there doctor's offices to go to? So that windshield survey really is looking out your windshield and collecting that information um, to see what what is there. Then uh, we can do other, we, we kind of can reach out to the community as well. So then we start looking at, okay, those organizations that are there, let's reach out to them. Let's just see what, what do they focus on? What are their needs? How can we help? And, and that's where we start with it. And then it just goes from there. You know, there's not a set formula when it comes to community health as there might be in an, an acute care setting. Mm-hmm. We, our, our goal is to help the organizations and the people with what they need. And it's just that. That is so interesting. I love that. So, again, because I know that the hospital systems have to do community assessments. And Mm -hmm. I know some some fields of public health are more analytical in that. They're collecting data. They're showing the trends. And so I really love hearing that there's a, a totally tactile on the ground approach. That, you know, whatever I see or what I can perceive, maybe hop out, talk to a few people and, you know, mm-hmm. really f- figure out what's going on mm-hmm. on the ground. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And connect people with resources. If right. they say we don't have this, we we don't know where to get this. Um, those are the kinds of roles that we play. Whatever they need that that's within our uh, purview or our scope of practice, mm-hmm. we will do it. Nice. Okay. Now, back to the aha moment with the students <laughs> in the program. <laughs> so... Let's talk a little bit about the project that they're working on. Sure. So I, as the executive director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives here at Norfolk State University, had connected with the nursing department, and we were very excited to work with the nursing students on their community health project. And I also want to mention that I'm doing this with Dina Lattimore, who is part of my team here at CPHI. And one of the reasons I was so excited about it is because I'm interested in public health communications. Mm-hmm. So when I heard that they had an opportunity to do that, I thought it might be a great collaboration between the two. Absolutely. And we are so thankful that you reached out because this is such a special project. It is nothing like anything that I've done before. Nice. Working directly with um, a person in communications. And that's such an important part of the way you reach the community. And so Uh, I'm not a communication specialist, and I love being able to receive this knowledge from someone who is and be able to allow the students to receive that knowledge as well. It's such a a phenomenal project. Nice. So let me tell everybody a little bit about it. So Dina and I, Ms. Lattimore and I, work with the nursing students in two cohorts, actually, one in the spring of 2023 and one for this first summer session of 2023. And their charge was to create a an audio or video public service announcement or, or in some way to communicate out to a general audience mm-hmm. about an issue they thought would be of interest to a community. They had to rely on what they had learned as nurses, and they had to do it in a very prescribed way. It couldn't be 20 minutes. It had to be 90 seconds, 60 seconds, so mm-hmm. that we can put some of the public service announcements on the radio, which is going to happen. Um, And in the process of doing that, as you said, we worked with them on how to communicate it. Right. right? So they were the experts on the content. We didn't we didn't do that. 
Um, I work with them in particular on sort of crafting the language and getting the rhythms that would work in this setting. And then Dina worked with them on production, Mm -hmm. as well as some other actually communication students here at Norfolk State. So it was a really great collaboration because, again, I I think I think they learned something because I think that just the process of thinking about communications in different ways and how you because. You know, of course, they know so much. So part of the challenge was how do you get all that information down (laughs) into 60 seconds? (laughs) And that's a skill. Um, But it's also a way that we communicate with communities. Absolutely. You know, they learned so much in terms of how to communicate with communities in the brief time that they were able to work with you. I just I know that it was so impactful for them. And it was very impactful to me because um it causes you to think about the way you're saying things and the rhythm and the cadence and the the, the, the way that you're putting it out there. And, uh, you know, it's not something that we often think about when we talk about communications with patients. We, we really talk about, you know, motivational interviewing and how do we get them to be their best selves and how do we talk to them about these difficult concepts related to health uh, or these, these big, long words related to health but not in how we're putting it out there. And so it's just, um, it was a phenomenal project. And they turned out so fantastic. I was so excited to hear them. Absolutely. And again, it was really great to think about the audio. And then for the second group, we had some video. And again, folks might be saying, well, why do nursing students need to do that? But communications is so important as a professional. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think you can learn something by by being encouraged to think in a different way so that then when you go back to the bedside or do your Mm -hmm. typical uh, communications, I think you are improved Mm -hmm. around that as well. The other thing to point out, too, is that I want more of our nurses to really think about how they might do this more. Because I think we need more people on the air. I think we need more people in our newsrooms. We need more people who are putting out that useful, credible information that are that in in language. Because we encourage them to put their personalities into it a little bit, right? To you know communicate in a way that they're comfortable with. We need more of that. We do, and that's a huge component of community health too. Is because we listen to the radio. We Mm -hmm. know we listen to the radio. I listen to Hot ninety one every morning on the way into work. Okay, you know, so uh, we listen. to the radio we listen to podcasts we you know when we don't have time to watch tv or when we choose not to we listen to these types of things and it's it's there are always opportunities to help people uh be healthier provide a little tidbit of knowledge but one of the other things that i think that the students really really learned that was very valuable for me as their chair is how to work with another group of of folks Mm -hmm. that work in the community, that collaboration that they may never have been able to experience had you all not reached out. They are used to seeing social workers. They are used to seeing, you know, um, physicians. But to think they could work with mass communications and that that is a strong and valid partnership for community health is I think was uh, um, eye-opening for them. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, it just just very is a very different approach and uh, one that's so valuable. Oh, that is so great to hear. Partnerships. <laughs> yep, that partnerships. Is so awesome. So, is there anything you wanted to share as we close out the segment here? I just want to thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come speak with you. And once again, um, thank you for working with our students in the School of Nursing. And we look forward to uh, the continued partnership going forward so that we can help as many people in our community achieve good health.
Nice. Okay, you guys heard it here. Continued partnership. That would be awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys for joining us today. Again, I am Dr. Felicia Mebbin, and this is Health, Healing, and Hampton Roads. <music>